Let's go to the Lord in prayer and uh, ask his blessing on this time. Father, it is all about you. Everything we do, every word we speak, it should be done for you. For you're the only one who really is worth it all. And as the song says, and I, I enjoyed that, that there was a part in there that says it's all from you anyway. It comes from you. And so, Lord, help us to remember that everything we have is from you. God, that you grant us those things as gifts, your grace, your mercy, the goodness, the love that we talk about. All those things come from you. God, help us to be grateful to that. As we grow, we, we strengthen, we do things together, we grow as a body. Lord, we are grateful for everything you've done for us. God, help us to, to listen to your word today, and God, help me to speak what you want us all to hear. Lord, that we can be open and mindful of our own failings and enjoy the gift of your forgiveness. And thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's look again and, and go back to the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13 and just read up to where we're at so far. And an and I say this because I'm, I'm so thankful and I appreciate all the, the, the talent and the gifts that we have here as a body. Um, what, what pastor said is it's enjoyable to be part of the body of Christ, to have all this around you where each of us has certain aspects and gifts that we have. And it's a, and it's a wonderful thing to be part of the body of Christ. Um, this section of scripture, as Pastor has said several times, is a, is a middle part of the sandwich or the white in the Oreo or whatever you want to call it. It's the sandwich. It's the middle of chapters 12 and 14. Very important to understand that everything around it feeds into this. And so let's read this and we'll go through what the section is today. Uh, as soon as I can bring it up here. If I speak in the tongue of men and of angels but have not love... I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And as for prophecies, they will pass away. For tongues, they'll cease. And for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And when I speak as a child, I spoke as a child. I thought as a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And I know in part, and then I'll know fully even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. 
And I don't think there's enough times that we could read this whole scripture. We do these each Sunday for the last several Sundays. I'd encourage us to continue to do this. And Pastor put a challenge out there for us to memorize this. I hope you're considering doing that. I need to do better at that myself. Um, Karen and I will work on that together. Memorize this chapter. It's great. It's a foundational to your faith, understanding this love that we have. When I was a kid, my father and I would sometimes sit around and watch different things on TV. He likes old westerns and, and things, so I kind of watched some of those. We'd watch certain things on TV, and, and I would sit down, and I remember one day when I was watching, there was boxing on TV. <clears throat> I don't know if anybody ever watches boxing anymore. That's on occasionally. Um, we would watch it you know, once in a while, and I remember seeing this on TV, and, and I'd sit there and scratch my head wondering how these two guys jabbing each other was any fun. I mean, what's fun about that? Guys poking each other. But I watched. It was interesting. And then I re remember one day I was sitting there and I was watching this guy named Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. Um, I am the greatest, he would say. That was his catchphrase, right? And I, I, I watched him and I thought he was kind of slow and lumbering if you watched the way he boxed. He would, he would move around, make a few jabs, and the other guy would move around a little bit, and they'd make a few jabs. And they were in the, uh, the heavyweights, so those guys didn't move too fast, you know. They danced around and tossed a few more punches, and then they might hug each other. And that seemed a little odd, but I was just watching fighting, you know. They'd just grip each other, and, and then they'd push off and try again. Eventually, Ali would pick it up and push and punch and shove and punch again over and over. And he was wearing the other guy down. And he did this, and he proclaimed himself the greatest. He would fight and fight and win these fights over and over, and he just wear them down. He proclaimed himself the greatest. Americans seemed mesmerized by this. He was quite the, um, the well, his, his promoter was Don King, right? If you remember his hair, that was his promotional thing, was the hair. America loved that. There was something about that that just, just caught their attention. It's something about American pride, I think. Um, they loved the boastful pride that he had. It seemed a little over top, maybe a little bit arrogant. Why not be arrogant when you're the best, right? That's the attitude. God has something to say about that, doesn't he? Um, this kind of arrogant pride, and he's not alone. That's not just Muhammad Ali. We all have this in some way in our lives. And Paul was one not to pull his punches on the Corinthian church. Pull his punches. You got that? Some of you caught that. And when he was going through this letter, he, he expressed his concern about this in a number of verses up to this. Last Sunday, a pastor talked about our boastfulness and being careful about how we boast, which is just a little bit different. Um, Remember the person he mentioned about who wants to one-up everything you say. When you're in conversation with them and, and you went fishing and you caught this fish, and while they went fishing, they caught this one, right? That's the kind of person we talked about last week. They're boasting about themselves. And we all do that. We even boast about our church, our music. It's great. I love it. I'll tell people all over the place that we have great people we have a great church. We have great musicians. They can pick it up and just play like this when the need is there. God's given us great talent, great people, 
And I can boast about that. Our food last Sunday, great meat. That was wonderful. If you were here last Sunday night, if you missed it, sorry, there's no leftovers. The fireworks, all those things that we do, we can boast about those things. Arrogance, arrogance takes it a little bit further, goes beyond boastfulness. Arrogance says, I'm better than you. Arrogance says, I'm smarter than you. My way is wiser than anything you can come up with. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar and his boastfulness, his arrogance, and he would go before God and and just demand the things of people, and God took care of him. God had something to say about that with Nebuchadnezzar. Arrogance says, you should do it my way. Don't bother trying to understand it. You can't understand it. I'm too good for that. That's arrogance, right? And the church of Corinth had a problem with this. Arrogance sets us against another person. And it can put someone else down in order to lift themselves up. It has a goal to make themselves more superior. And you may have been on the receiving end of this at some point in your life. You may have seen this where someone has put you down, made you seem small and inferior. Has that ever happened to you? It causes relationships to be strained. It causes them to be broken. It causes people to fall away. We can lose trust, and it causes relationships to fail. And God knows that. And Paul in this church sees that amongst them. And he makes this point. And we have one who we can trust to never, ever make us feel low or inferior. Who is that? Jesus. Amen? He will never, ever, ever make you feel low and inferior. Excuse me, Jesus was truly a superior human in every way far above everyone else, perfect in knowledge, perfect in purpose, in attitude, in love, and yet in his perfection, he chose to be humble. In the Gospels, there was a man who, who came running to him asking, good teacher, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And the answer Jesus gave was extraordinary in light of who he actually was. His answer was, why do you call me good? And no one is good but God. He spoke to his own father. He said, no one is good but the father. He constantly reflected the father rather than himself. And he said at another time that he could do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. Extraordinary, isn't it? This one who is God. And remember, Jesus was God as well as man, perfect in both ways. And yet he chose to humble himself as God to be a man, to serve and wash the feet of the disciples, and to go to the cross for you and for me. That's what he did. God, man, perfect. And yet he did that for us. That's the kind of God we have. I remember um, about in the year 2000, uh, our previous church we went to, um, we started helping out a little bit with the youth once in a while. And I went to this place and helped out a little bit. I'd go down in the evening a couple of times to this camp called Camp Sagmont. 
Everybody heard of that somewhere at some point? I hope you have by now. If you know where you're going this week, you should know about Camp Sagamont. And I drove there one evening, and I was going there to serve in whatever way I could help. Just be there. I, I like to just help wherever I can. Um, and so I go out there, and I would counsel if I could. And after the service, there was one night there, and we were done, and the pastor at the time, my, my pastor at the time, Bill Kolb, asked a favor of me, pulled me over to the side, and there was this other gentleman, older gentleman with us there, standing there, and I didn't know who this was. And he says, Dustin, would you mind taking him back to Springfield, um, dropping him off the church? He's got to meet some people there. And I agreed, and I said, sure, you know, be glad to do whatever I can do. That I, I can do that. I can drive. And so I took this gentleman in my car, and we drove back, and we just chatted along the way. It was a great conversation. He, he was uh, about 90 years old, and, but, man, he was sharp. God had blessed him with such a, a great mind. And I dropped him off at the church, and a short light time later, he preached at our church. He could not see. He, he took this Bible, and I remember this. He took this Bible, and he would open it up, and I never saw him look at this thing. He'd stand up there and preach. I, I, I don't, well, I found out later he really couldn't even see, so I don't know why he was, I, he was just so comfortable with looking at it like this, that this was in his hands. He'd preached with it. He could preach and memorized, had entire passages of Scripture that he had just memorized, entire books. This was, this was incredible, I thought. And he told these stories. I loved his stories. He was a storyteller. He would stand up here, and I, I, I'd love to learn how to tell stories like that. He could just reach back into decades ago and tell about people he'd met along the way. And uh, I loved listening to him. I found out later that this man by the name of Dr. Art Wilson, had been an evangelist who had led thousands of people to Christ over his centuries. Centuries, decades. See, there's an element of, of ability that you learn when you speak to, that, you know, it takes time to learn this. He had started as an evangelist just before Billy Graham had started, and back in the 30s. And so he had led... Uh, all kinds of evangelistic um, camp meetings under the tents, just like you'd see in Billy Graham's life, all over the United States. Thousands of people would come to hear Dr. Art Wilson preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the end of his days, that was his one passion. When he was nearly on his deathbed, he was still preaching. He was 90 at the time. He died at 93. He was preaching all the way through. So he was standing up here just leading us in scripture and teaching everything out. It was in his mind. He knew it. He'd done this for so long. I found this out later because I thought it back and I was like, wait a minute. I was here sitting, driving in this car with this man next to me. I had no idea who he was. No idea because he was so humble. All the things he had done in his life, the things he knew, the people he'd met, the stories he could tell, he did not let that show as a prideful, boastful thing. And I appreciated that about him. You know, those, thing, those things have an impression upon me. And so he didn't treat me any other way in his, any other person. He, he talked with me just like he had known me forever. He was that kind of guy. I want to be that kind of guy. I do. So as we grow as a church, as you grow personally, we want to be careful 
when we grow, we learn that we don't become boastful and arrogant. We can become arrogant when we gain knowledge, like this gentleman. When we gain knowledge, learn scripture, do all those things, grow, go to school, do all those things that God wants you to do, but have humility. We can grow wise in our own eyes with our experience. We've seen things, we've done things, we know what we're supposed to do. We can grow wise in our own eyes, can't we? We can accomplish great feats, even small feats, and attribute all that success to ourselves. Look what I've done. Look how great I am, right? This is the thing that we have to watch for. Arrogance looks like this. Arrogance looks like your opinion is the best. It really is. Why not? I'm very wise, aren't I? Arrogance looks like your attitude toward others, belittling their ideas and perspective. Remember what I said, that some people have been put down over their lives, and arrogance puts them down, belittles them in their perspective. In other words, you've got to have your final word. Arrogance loves to take joy from the accolades of others. That's where they get their joy. And when you stand before others and you look for that and you become that kind of person that just needs that pat on the back, be careful. You've just crossed that line. Jesus tells the parable of a man who, who stood in the temple to pray. And, and this man says, God, I thank you that I am not like uh, that other man, like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes at all that I possess. Look at me. And the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. That's the tax collector. And you see the difference. Finally, arrogance is something that we think that we know better than God. We, we don't need the word he gave us. Arrogance becomes that. We can do better, make up our own rules for life. And so we try and we find ourselves in a mess that God really has already promised us. When you try to do life on your own and make up your own rules, God promises that there's gonna be all kinds of problems when you do that. Immorality. Guess what we do as a society? We make up our own rules about what's right or wrong to do as a society. What kind of lifestyle is acceptable or not? Whether it's okay to mess around on your, on your partner or your, your spouse. And we say it's okay. And God says, look what's going to happen. There's going to be fighting, destruction, evil, death. And God promises that. Psalm 52 says, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction, like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You lose evil, you love evil more than good. Does that sound like our society today in some ways? You love evil more than good and lying rather than speaking righteousness. Love does not act like that. Love does not act arrogantly. It doesn't tear other people down, and it does not seek to put others underneath them. Instead, love seeks to lift others up. 1 Corinthians 10, 
a few chapters back, says this in verse 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. That would be a good thing for us to think of. Let's seek each other's better. Help each other. Find ways to serve each other. And, and that becomes so hard when we want to be the best, when we want to be the greatest. Remember where our gifts come from. I like that, again, because that song that we sang right at the end just mentioned that. Like John the Baptist, we recognize that a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. John the Baptist said that. A man who had also thousands of people following him at the time. He's the one who said, there's one coming after me that I'm not even worthy to untie the shoes. Remember where our, great, our gifts come from. We're full of grace. We have all the things. We're full of that because of God. We have the talents and the gifts that we have because God gave them to us for his purpose. And he loaned them to us for his own glory. Remember where your gifts and your talents come from. And finally, be content. Be content with what God gave you. Paul tells Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into this world, and it's certain we carry nothing out. We have food and clothing, and with these, be content. We have never seen anybody ever take anything out of this world. You can put stuff in that grave all you want to with them, but they'll never take it with them. That stuff stays here. Your talents, your gifts, everything is on loan from God. And God wants us to use that for his glory. That will keep us from becoming arrogant, boastful people. When we realize these are the places that God gives us, these are the things God gives us. Love does not act unbecomingly or rude, number two. So when we realize that when we are not to act in that way in arrogance, and we know that our gifts come from God, we want to also be careful, Paul says, to not act in a rude manner. Uh, some versions, I looked this up, and you can look in different versions. It'll call it unbecomingly or indecently. And as we know, the, the Corinthian church did a lot of things that were rather indecent. The Corinthian church was letting the world affect their, their actions and the way they interacted with each other, um, the way they treated each other, the way they presented themselves to the world. In, in church gatherings, would, men would shout over each other to be heard with their words of great prophecy and great wisdom. This is the one, this is the word that God has given me to speak. Listen to me. And they would shout over each other like that and, and expound upon their great wisdom, what they would have. And Paul says, no, look, you got this from God. This is not your word. Everything I say here is from not from me, hopefully. This is from God. When I speak the word that's shown in the Bible, this is God's word, not my own. And so they would shout over each other the gifts of prophesying, great wisdom. They would inter each, uh, interrupt each other and in, in speaking in tongues that no one could understand. Um, and they basically act in disorder in a confusing manner. And so Paul uses a lot of time and ink in, the, in his letter, correcting them in the manner that they should act. 
Uh, he instructs them on the importance of setting things in place, putting them in order. In chapter 14, saying, saying that all things should be done decently and in order. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And in all of this confusion, in all of this hubbub that they were doing, being rude to each other in their efforts to be heard, to stand out, to say, I am the greatest, to seem important, they were not showing the love that they needed for the other person. That's the key. The love was missing. We want to be heard, don't we? Our opinion matters, don't, doesn't it? And so we shout over each other, push each other aside a little bit, whether it's at the dinner table or here at work, wherever that is. We try to push each other aside because I want to be heard. And we'll interrupt each other and cause each other pain and heartache, put each other down. Again, these two words still fit together. The, the two words we've talked about today. They were acting in a way that just does not represent the holiness of God. Paul exhorted them in chapter 5 of this letter saying that there was sexual behavior going on that was not even named among the Gentiles. That kind of behavior, not even among the Gentiles. Men and women, Christians included, can become so arrogant they forget their God demands of them holiness. Uh, be holy as God is holy. And, and, and in our arrogance, we begin to act with this kind of indecent behavior, making ourselves unbecoming a child of God. What, what, what does God want of us to become holy so that we can reflect what he is like? And becoming unbecoming of a child of God we miss the opportunities that God gives us. We mess up other people's lives when we become indecent and we make decisions that are based on our own arrogance. We've all heard stories of, of pastors um, who fall into temptation, acted with impunity, thinking they would not be found out. You know what I'm saying? Arrogance, indecency. Maybe you've been damaged by this yourself or someone else you know has been damaged by that. Or a friend left the church never to see it again. I've known someone like that. Be careful. <laughs> Be careful. Um, what we do impacts other people. The behavior that we have impacts other people. Um, we can be damaged by this because Acting with rudeness and indecency is certainly not showing godly love to each other and care for each other. I, I, I see this church here, and I don't see this in what we do. I see love here. I really do. I, I honestly feel like this is a church that I could sit down and talk with any one of you about what's going on in my life because I feel like we have a church that loves each other, and that's great, and I want us to stay that way. The pastor wants us to stay that way. So as we grow together and we grow in numbers, as God blesses us with that and, and sees all these things, we want to do a few things. If, 
if we've ever shown, um, we've ever been impacted by these things in our life. Um, first, we want to forgive those who may have shown weakness. Be forgiving. Um, have you messed up? I have. So when we act in boastful behavior, arrogance, um, when we're rude and decent, um, and you know not of other people, be the first one to forgive. Step up. Take that step to forgive. To find that in your heart first and ask God to forgive you if you cause that in other people. Forgive. And number two, help each other grow in every area of love that we've been talking about. Do it decently and in love <laughs> and with a character of holiness that God expects. When we do these things like this in love, we take ourselves out of the way and we're no longer the person that says, look at me, look at what I'm doing. We take ourselves out so that others can see God. We step aside and we let others see God. That's what we want. See, when the Corinthians were so busy trying to outdo each other and speak in tongues and speak their prophecies, they were leaving no room for God, no room for other people to hear God. And you would think that all the things they were doing was for God, but they were doing it all for themselves. And the confusion and everything else, people really couldn't see God in what they were doing because they couldn't see the love. And love is what God is. That's why verse uh, in the, our Bible that says, be still and know that I am God is so important. Sometimes we just have to shut up, <laughs> close our mouths and step aside. Uh, it's so easy for me to, for me personally, to want to be heard. It really is. That's something I have to work on. Um, be still and let God speak. And Paul said in chapter 14 that though he could speak tongues with more than all of them, he would rather step aside and just have a few understandable words that he could teach as well. His heart was that God would be revealed in all that he did, said, and showed to others. That was the heart of Paul. And we all want to be wise, wealthy, good at what we do. We do. We want to learn. We want to grow and, and have more money. Why not? Let's, all those things that God has given us to have is fine. And God is ready and willing to give you all of those things for his glory, not for ours. So go for it. Learn, grow, experience things. We have enormously talented people here growing more mature every day. I've seen this over the few years we've been here. I've, I've been impressed by our people growing personally with each other, relationships growing, um, spending time in prayer with each other like never before. I've, I've heard stories of people praying and, and people um, growing in Christ loving others more, keep doing it. Keep at it. Be proud of the God who gave that to you. Let's remember to avoid impressing others with how wonderful and talented we are. 
And when we get out of the way, that's when God's handiwork really begins to shine. Uh, I, I've, found that, I've found that the less I say sometimes is actually better. <laughs> I'll say something and then get out of the way. So the final thing I have for you today is this, and then I'm going to get out of the way. God can take the most humble of our clay vessels that we are and make us into something magnificent for his glory and his honor and a reflection of his own great love. Amen? When we get out of the way.